Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Matter of the Heart, where we give you heartfelt, educational, and always positive stories to elevate your spirit. Uh, thanks always for taking your time out to listen to the Matter of the Heart. And the topic of the show today is uh, something for you to think about, certainly, and reflect on after the show with our guest, Dr. Bernie Siegel, is the mystery of life. Maybe what is the mystery of life to you? What is it mystery of life to you? What is life to you? As well as the love vaccine, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wonderful. If we all went to our CVS pharmacy and got a love vaccine, Bernie, right? And listeners. So Dr. Bernie Siegel, he is the author, and I'm sure many of you have heard of the book, uh, Love Medicine and Miracles, 365 Prescriptions for the Soul, Peace, Love, and Healing. And really, I could go on and on with Bernie's books and meditations, et cetera. But everything, everything is on Bernie's website, BernieSiegelMD.com. Treat yourself um, to a beautiful, wise, inspiring book or anything you want it to be. So we welcome you, Bernie. How are you? Well, I tell people not to ask me that. Okay. <laughs> because, I mean, the truth is, I don't deceive people. Right. When I say, how are you? I don't say, fine. Right. Ends it, you know? Right, right. Fine. And I've had some... Right. Right. And I really say to people, when you see me, say, you're looking very well today, instead of, how are you? And I like that. That's funny, too, because when I walk into a store and people say, you're looking very well today, the other customers wonder, why didn't they say that to me? You know? Right. But I tell them, I've trained them. Because I can't be dishonest. If you said, how are you? I'll tell you. Um, and people... They're not asking so that they know. They're expecting, fine. How are you? Fine. They're showing you, you know, they care. Right. And I got to tell you the funniest things that happened because I didn't realize how many people in the world are depressed and lying about how they feel. But one day in the supermarket, the, the cashier said, how are you today? I said, I'm depressed. I'm out of my antidepressant and my doctor's away on vacation. So I can't refill my prescription. And I couldn't believe how many people in the line behind me started saying, will these help you? Oh, and offering me antidepressants that they had with them. And that blew my mind, you know, and that's how we're all denying. How are you? Fine. Right. Well, the other day in the post office where I tried to train them because I go in there often, one of the clerks still said, how are you today? I said, I've trained you not to ask that. I'm depressed. I'm out of my antidepressant. My doctor's on vacation. I got poked in the back by the person behind me online. I turn around and she says, I'm a psychiatrist. I specialize in depression. Here's my card. Maybe I can help you. Uh, and I burst out laughing. I said, my God, that's the first time that's happened to me. I said, I get offered antidepressants all the time. But the whole, all the customers in the post office were looking at me like, what are you laughing about? She's trying to help you. Why are you making fun? And I had to explain to everybody you know, we had one of these Corona 
lines, you know, that, that everybody uh, is lined up uh, one after the other. Uh, so I had quite an audience. And um, I explained to them, I'm not depressed. I am a doctor. I'm just tired of people denying their truths, you know, and everybody saying, fine. Because there was a lady, these are things all, I don't make these stories up, and stop and shop, who poked me in the back. I turn around, there's a lady with a bandage over her eye. And she said, you're the only person in Stop and Shop who hasn't asked me what happened. That impressed the hell out of me. You know, and I often tell people now, put a bandage on and go to work. Or yes. go shopping And watch how people talk to you now that they know you've got a problem. But what do I say to this lady? I said, I didn't ask you because I know what happened to you. She said, really? I said, yeah, I got an abusive spouse also. And then she looks at me like, what? You know, <laughs> what's she going to do with me coming up with an answer like that? But and I said, to her, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I tell people, really, put a bandage on and go to work, go shopping. And people will tell you things they've never told you before because they see you have a problem and you'll understand them now. Yeah, the energy shifts. No, that's yeah. very interesting to do that. Because even, you know, talk about the, the weird nature of life and the mystery. Yes. What I learned was if you admit that you're not normal. Right. And other people who aren't normal will talk to you about what they have experienced. But if not, they're not going to reveal themselves and be, you know, like I was described, the controversial thing. Now, who else will talk to me now? Other people who are controversial. Right. Say, we know what you're going through. We're going through it. And so we can talk. But if they're not controversial or don't want to be, they're not going to get near me. So I found it amazing when I began this work and began to learn power of the mind and healing and all kinds of things how patients would walk into my office and say, I've learned you're not a normal doctor, so I came to talk to you. At the hospital, they'd say, I'm not your patient, but would you come to my room, please? Because the nurses and doctors think I'm crazy, but I know I could talk to you. And so I began to hear things that I wouldn't have heard if I weren't called crazy. That's interesting. Yeah. Yes, because they bonded, they felt a more of a bond and they, well, they felt they could trust you. Right. And you got to have an open story. mind. Right. Instead of shutting people down, then you don't really learn what their life is really like. Right. Right. So they keep a secret. But when you're open and it's amazing the things that I would hear, uh, you know, from Mr. Why, why do you think people keep their uh, are secretive? Do they feel as if they're going to be rejected, intimidated, or? Yeah, they're, they're called nuts. You know, I can't believe that. That's not scientific. Um, even things like the near-death experience. Right. Which years ago was, oh, no, that's your brain is changing. Right. Uh, it has nothing to do with near, you know, death and leaving right. your body and blah, blah, blah. Now we have an international association of near-death stories you know, where people share. And if you go back several decades, 
they would have all been called crazy. See, it's your brain that is making changes. It's not you being dead and leaving your body and all that stuff. Yeah. So it's opening our minds. Well, then it has to be that to get to that association um, time period, it had to be during that time period, more and more people were opening up to tell their stories. Yes, and, and especially if you're a doctor. Right. You know, uh, you can confront in a sense other health professionals because you have the same information they have. Um, and doctors would say to me again, that came from a, a lousy journal. That was a poorly controlled study. They, they want to deny things they didn't believe in. But when did they change? When things happened to them. I never forget a book, copy of a book I was sent um, called Healing Lessons by a, a, a doctor working. I think it was a Sloan Kettering. And in it, as I'm reading it, I see this line. I want to apologize to Dr. Bernie Siegel. I thought, what the hell is he apologizing for? I didn't even know him. I was just looking at this copy of his book. So I call him up and he said, I'm apologizing for what I used to think of you. Read the sentence in the book. And he said, I thought, you know, you were a nutcase until my wife got cancer. Then you became an enormous help. All the things you've written, your has to hit them. guided imagery, you know, tapes and things. So now I'm his best friend helping his wife survive. And uh, before that, I was a nutcase. Yeah. Well, uh, to me, I see the, the pros and the cons of that is um, it's too bad. Something has to happen to the person themselves or immediate family members for them to get the compassion. Yeah. I use the word tourist and native. Right. Uh, the natives know what it's like. The tourists are just talking about what's in their head and their experience. Right. And doctors would say that same thing. Oh, that's a poorly controlled study. That's in a journal that's poor quality. You know, finding a way to put down what I'm saying and argue with me. I even recited a poem once, uh, it's called Miss G by W.H. Auden. A couple of lines in it, a doctor comes home in the office, says to his wife, cancer's a funny thing, childless women get it, and men, when they retire, it's as if there had to be an outlet for a foiled creative fire. Now that's a poet writing it. Why would he write that if he didn't see it in life? Right. But a doctor at Yale yells at me from the audience, just because it rhymes doesn't make it true. You see, he's not looking at life or he'd know that it's true. Right. And, and uh, oh, another wonderful, I often say read fiction to learn the truth. Solzhenitsyn in his book, Cancer Ward, he talks about one of the men coming into the ward with a book and says, look, it says here, there are cases of self induced healing, not recovery through treatment, but he actual healing. <clears throat> and it was as though self-induced healing had fluttered out of the great open book like a rainbow colored butterfly. And they all held up their cheeks for its healing touch as it flew past. 
Now, when I read that, it was just so true and beautiful because in those days, <clears throat> if you got well and nobody could explain it, doctors weren't smart enough to say to you, how come you didn't die? What can I learn from you? They would say, oh, you had a spontaneous remission. <clears throat> in other words, you're, you're just lucky. Something happened. And filing. Yeah, and my term was, right. you know, it's self-induced healing. And so is Solzhenitsyn. And the rainbow colored butterfly That's explains you. it all. Right. You, you're in a cocoon, you bust out, spread your wings. Why the rainbow? Harmony, order. And you create that new life. And look what happens. You get well. Well, that's interesting because then maybe as you're saying, uh, Bernie, one of the mysteries of life, of course, is harmony and balance, that the more we are in balance with ourselves, you know, with our mind, with our heart, our spirit, our soul, whatever you want to say, uh, maybe that's uh, the, a mystery of life, meaning that that's integrates. I mean, that's a symbol of our immune system. Maybe yeah. that's what we need to strive. Well, it's it's our chemistry literally changes. Right. One student, he, he called me to say, I want to do a study on actors and draw their blood to show how their immune function changes, stress hormone levels. And my professor thinks it's crazy. It's not going to happen in an actor. So would you talk to my professor? So I called him. And the professor said, all right, I'll grant the student the right to do that as his thesis. So the student did it. And he had two actors, a male and a female. One scene was, you know, affectionate and friendly and drew their blood. The other was the male murdered the woman's husband and they meet and he's drawing blood during that moment. And what he saw, of course, was immune function went up when it was an affectionate scene and, and stress okay. hormone levels down. And just the opposite, when she meets her husband's murderer, the immune function went down and stress hormone levels are way up. And that's why Monday morning is the more heart attack, stroke, suicides and illnesses. You know, it's what people are feeling. So I've learned from patients, too, who started loving their bodies. And I tell this to people regularly, um, send love out to your body. Oh, that's beautiful. I talk to my heart. I fill it with love and right. pump it out. And well, to all the organs, the heart, the, the kidneys, the lungs, the liver, because yeah. the liver gets this rid of lady was had polio as a child, and she never liked her body because of the muscular, you know, losses from right. polio and all. And then she developed a neurological disease, and she said. I don't want to die not liking myself in my body. So she started literally lying naked in front of a mirror and loving her body. And her, her comment was, I do it inch by inch. I start on my toes and I work my way up. And her disease went into remission. Oh, that's a beautiful yeah. story. And wow. there's so many stories like that where people gave up in a sense what's killing them, you know, the Monday morning syndrome and started living a life they wanted 
but we're never able to because of other people involved or things going right. on. And well, then, then you maybe, notice uh, they thinking, don't die. Right. Maybe I'm thinking, Bertie, maybe a, a good healing uh, tool would be for people to write their own journals as much as they can. Absolutely. Get out subconscious, uh, you know, energy, write it out. So you're releasing something. The more you're releasing, the more you're healing your body, I would think. Yeah, I'm still reading my book you mentioned earlier, 365 right. Prescriptions for the Soul. It's a daily journal. And I keep, you know, getting the therapy by rereading it year after year after year. And my wife was the one who woke me up to that because the journal I kept was of all the troubles I had as a doctor. And... And matter of fact, when I drew a picture for Elizabeth Cooper Ross, an outdoor scene, she immediately said to me, Bernie, what are you covering up? I said, what are you asking me that for? She said, you used a white crayon to make snow on a mountain. The paper's already white. You added a layer. You're covering something up. Oh. <clears throat> and boy, did she wake me up. That's it. Get into drawings and other things. Right. And my wife one day found my journal which I forgot to hide because I knew I had to get it out of my system. So every night before I'd go to bed, I would sit down and write. Ah. But what did you write about? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, right. It was all my troubles. And she'd say, honey, you had us laughing at the dinner table about things that happened at the hospital. They're never in your journal. And boy, did that wake me up. So I kept track of the good things too after Balance. that. Yeah. And then I got to tell you this one. I painted a portrait. Well, it's, it's a funny part because we have five kids, a house full of pets, like a zoo. Some of my books are about animals um, in our house and with other people. And um, one day I come home from the hospital and that's when I would paint somebody's portrait and I'd relax and feel better. <clears throat> And every living creature in the house was running away from the house. I thought, what went wrong? What's going on at home? So I yelled to them, what's happened? What's wrong? We don't want to pose for you. We don't want to have to sit while you paint a picture. I said, all right. <laughs> all right. Because I didn't know I was torturing them. Um, and this included the pets, too. I mean it. I said, look, I'll paint a portrait of myself. I'll put up a mirror and do that. You can all come back. I won't bother you. They all turned around and went back in the house. And oh, did I laugh. But what did I paint? Right. Myself in a surgical outfit, a cap, a mask, and the gown. That's interesting. And it never occurred to me, you don't know who the painting is. Right. Of. Yeah. You can't tell it's me. Right. right. How we meet people with masks yeah. on now. You don't know who it is. Right. You know, they're hidden. And I had the cap mask and a gown on. So you don't see me at all. And I now call that painting my cover up. Oh, I love it. It was hiding symbolically all my pain and difficulties as a doctor. You know, that's very interesting. Sure, the outfit is a covering of your heart, your yeah. mind, your everything about you. Right, right. right. So and it's doctors like commit suicide more than the general population. 
What is that? Not trained how to deal with our trouble. Right. The Jung again, what did he say? The diagnosis helps the doctor, but it doesn't help the patient. Right. So then yeah. the key thing is the story, for it alone shows human background and human suffering. And only at that point can the doctor's therapy begin to operate. And I learned to start asking people, what are you experiencing? So I could help them, not, you know, here's your diagnosis, this is what right. we need to do. Um, it's amazing how anybody listening to this, if you have a problem in your life, say to yourself, what word would I use to explain what it feels like to have this problem? In other words, what am I experiencing? So you can say draining, failure, pressure, roadblock, blessing, uh, you know, depending on what's happening. But when things would happen, I would just say that. How would you describe what you're going through? And boy, the look in people's eyes when they came up with that word was amazing because it was like I enlightened them mm -hmm. about what was going on in their life that led to their getting sick. Mm -hmm. they, I mean, pressure was her marriage. Failure, my parents committed suicide, so I must have been a failure as a child. Um, it's just amazing, uh, you know, what words they came up with and then their explanations. And also after that, after like what you're saying, you're approaching them and that uh, maybe interject, you know, life is constant change. Yeah. We might get stuck. We always get, I mean, we all have this in us. You know, we might get stuck at something that just doesn't feel good. So it's a matter of how to release and the intensity of it, because some people get more intense with the feeling. Some people can alienate it more, you know, but somehow, whatever it is, whatever from one to 10, you know, the intensity is somehow to release that. But you have to realize what it is. Right. Why when you say that word, then it focuses you back on your life. Yeah. And you know what you need to work on. That's the root of it what it is yeah. that's the root of the tree yeah yeah and it's true of all the treatments you know uh, you could say oh i'm going to get poison right you know versus i'm going to get something that's going to make me well right um you know when you think about i always say the the commercials i guess they have to put them on tv and radio that way where they tell you about a drug that's wonderful for some disease but then they give you a list of all the things that it could do to you uh, if you take it. And, and I that's thought that was part. a joke when I first heard it. I thought it was a joke. Well, I, I've learned to, people, learned to say to people, when you bring home the list of side effects and problems with the drug, give it to your family to read. And if you have something, say to them, is that on the list? Because if you read the list, you're more likely to have things happen. It hypnotizes you. Yeah, and uh, one, one lady who was in our support group came in. She said um, she was in pain. She asked her daughter to get her a pain. Oh, no, it wasn't pain. It was nausea from the chemotherapy. She was nauseated. So she said to her daughter, get me my compazine pill to settle my stomach and help me. Daughter brought her a pill, gave it to her. And the mother wasn't wearing her glasses. That's why she wanted her daughter to help her. 
and she's feeling better. Three or four hours later, she says, honey, would you get me another pill? Now she's got her glasses on. Her daughter shows up. She says, what the hell are you doing? Daughter said, what do you mean? This is not, you know, what I asked you for. This is the anticoagulant Coumadin. It's not Compazine. Somehow the daughter saw the C or something on it and thought it was that. Right. But the, the fascinating thing to the woman and why she's telling me the story was, yeah, the wrong drug cured my problem because I thought it was the right thing. So you see how powerful the mind, the mind. is. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so Bernie, what do you think would happen if we went to a CVS or Walgreens store and got a, vac a love vaccine? That would be a wonderful, yeah. You know, it, it, I called it, one of our sons who's an attorney uh, was upset with me because I have an article on my website, BernieSiegelMD.com, about deceiving people into health. You know, and for him, it's, why are you deceiving people? What are you, but what I meant in a sense, it's more like saying hypnotizing people into health because I did a lot of children's surgery and I lied to children. Why would I lie to make them feel better? Right. And the classic example was the alcohol sponge. I don't know how I get all these ideas, but I'm gonna rub the child's skin to clean it before I put a needle in. And the kids are in a panic. Oh, I need a love. So I would say, oh, don't worry. These are new little sponges. They not only clean your skin, but they numb it. So you're not going to feel the needle. And they all go, oh. And I'd rub it, put the needle in, and 80% of them would say, why don't the other doctors do that? I love it. 20% would say, I felt it. But it wasn't a terrible pain. You know, right. I felt it. Right. I'd say, well, it must be a bad sponge. I'll be careful next time. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but that's the part why I didn't mind deceiving people into health. Because when you got little kids who see a needle and they're in a panic, oh, I used to be, feel so bad. You know, you had to draw blood, you had to do things. And, uh, but when I began telling stories to them, then, you know, they were happy with me. Well, that could also be with adults. Some doctors, you know, they look at the statistics yeah. and then they, um, they're not giving good results to somebody, you know, but there's always, you know, you can't always go with- Oh statistics, yeah. You know? I mean, so many things I said in the office, you know, my doctor right. said I have three months to live. Right. I said, I'll put the money up. Tell your doctor, you'll bet him $10,000 that you'll live for six months. Right. right. That's what I mean. And right. they never bet. Right. Well, you could live six months. Then why? Yeah, I know one man, uh, all these stories that are coming back. He had, um, he developed cataracts. He had lung cancer. And uh, it screwed up his life. So he was planning cataract surgery. The insurance company wrote him and said, we will not pay for cataract surgery. You are only going to live another, you know, three oh. to six months, and we're not going to spend the money on cataract surgery. He literally went home, laid down on his bed, and was dead in a week. 
and I got the family to sue the company. Good. Yeah. Oh, another insurance company. This woman was self-destructive is the only way I can put it. I noticed that she was always having surgery for something. Um, and, and it was due to her continued complaints. You know what I mean? That she didn't have any certain tests that showed something wrong. But she yeah, would keep yeah. going to the same doctor, telling them how terrible this was, that, that was, I'm in pain, and right. they would operate. You know, it's like saying my knee hurts and right. they can't find anything wrong with your knee, but it keeps hurting. Right. And I saw her and I said, it's obvious you're punishing yourself by having an operation every three to six months. You're getting caught up. I said, I'm not going to operate on you. If you want to come in and talk to me about your life and I can try to help you. And she gave me a look like, oh my God, this guy knows me and what I'm doing. She said, all right, I'll come in. The insurance company wrote me, we do not pay surgeons for talking. I wrote them back. I said, if you look at what she's cost you this past year, you'll see I've saved you a lot of money by talking. Good. And I said, yeah, you know, why she was having the surgery and other. And then I got a lovely letter back saying, yes, please keep talking. <laughs> That's a good story, Bernie. They're all true. Yeah, a bit, but um, they're truthful stories. And it's as we listen to them, we're learning how obviously the mind is uh, our producer, director, whatever you want to call it, you know? Yeah, the mind and the heart. Yes, definitely. The heart sends, I, I mean, the mind lovely the term heart. that so many people with illness came up with, let your heart make up your mind. Oh. Because your heart is sending out messages too. Yes. And there's a book by Paul Pearsall a few years ago, The Heart's Code in which he's talking about, again, how the heart communicates too. It, it's like partly a brain, if you know what I mean. So it's letting you know. So the heart, the brain, yeah. And then all the uh, glandular systems that produce things in your body, they're all interacting and uh, getting the same messages. Our network of health that yeah. we, we take for granted sometimes. Yeah, unless the, we get uh, my own story. Thing. My wife died four years ago. Um, she died in her sleep. So when I came in in the morning thinking she, you know, I needed to wake her up. Uh, I felt a shock in my heart when I touched her hand and how cold it was. And I mean that. It was really like somebody touched an electrical device against my chest. And, and I thought that is so classical of what I'm talking about. My loved one dies, my heart is shocked. And then nine months later, sure enough, my heart rhythm went crazy and I ended up going to the hospital. Um, the part that was fascinating was how my wife, I won't get into all the stories, has kept communicating with me. Yeah. But when I got to the hospital, she was born on 9-9. We were married on the 11th. I'll tell you why I'm telling you these numbers, but because when I walked into the emergency room, I heard a voice yelling in the back. 
I, I wasn't even signed in. I'm just walking in the room. Somebody yells, put him in room nine. And I thought, oh, my wife's already here watching out for me. Then they told me, we don't have a room in the hospital for you yet. And I thought, what kind of, what, that's crazy. You got this big hospital and I, there's no room. Next day, we got the room, 819. I knew again, it was my wife for the 99. And oh, and my wristband, that, that blew me away. My identification number at Yale. Eight is the new beginning. Right. First number in it is an eight. Right. And there's two nines, two sixes, and two threes. Everything comes out to a nine. Oh, and that's interesting. Yeah, I know damn well my wife set all that up. <laughs> yeah, there's spiritual messages. There's always yeah. a spiritual message. And the nurses and doctors got tired of me saying, look at my wristband. Because right. even the visits, the numbers often added up to nines. Wow, fascinating stories, Dr. Bernie Siegel, Bernie, and we we could talk to you for hours. That's true. <laughs> but, but Zoom's gonna unfortunately cut us off. We always appreciate your health wisdom, Bernie. We Thank always you. do. We always, always, always do. Thank you, Bernie. Well, I like stories. They're like again, what I learned at the hospital. If you told stories, you didn't get into arguments with doctors because it didn't threaten them. They could walk out of a meeting and say, that was just a story. Oh, that's interesting. If it's something they didn't believe in, then it's just a story. Interesting. Whereas if you try to give them statistics, then they really got into arguments with you. That's poorly controlled. That's not a good journal. That's interesting. Thing, then they become defensive but yeah. yeah, story is like a neutral right. neutral right. concept yeah so and i became a storyteller and uh yeah there were times when the chief of surgery would say siegel you know sit down because he'd had enough of my stories because again you know we're always classifying things right um you know you'd say um i mean this was so we all would learn as surgeons but um, you'd have, um, if somebody had a complication or some other problem, we'd look at that case in a meeting and say, you know, is there a way we could have avoided this? Did this, this, we do something wrong? So you judged it and classified it. You know, rather than hide from the problem, you classified it. Um, and there are times I would you know, raise my hand or want to get up and say something. And the chief of surgery knew, oh, I'm not going to listen to him again. And he'd say, Siegel, sit down. <laughs> yeah, he'd had enough talking about feelings. He somehow wouldn't address you. I know. <laughs> right. Well, nobody, I always said nobody's against success. So all the things I was known as crazy for became hospital policy. Yeah. And patients would say, why do you do this? And they'd say, it's hospital policy. But originally, it was Crazy Siegel doing things to help patients. You know, it's interesting, the concept out-of-the-box, non-conventional. You know, when you look at uh, some of the, uh, like Einstein, you know, some of the people we also heard besides yourself, you know, people need to be out-of-the-box because that's where imagination and creativity and the creative mind exists. 
you know what's interesting and because we're so busy classifying right when i wrote articles i sent them to a medical journal because i wanted them to make doctors aware of the benefit of having a patient let's say draw a picture of themselves in their right. treatment or their home and family whatever you wanted to learn about and the article was sent back with a note saying it's interesting but it isn't appropriate for our journal okay that's a traditional medical journal right. so i thought all right i'll send it to a psychiatric journal because if they feel it's all emotional right. stuff came back again this time the note was exactly the opposite um it's yeah in the medical journal it said it's interesting but not appropriate in the psychiatric journal it said it's appropriate but it isn't interesting they and that's when you realize how really upsetting and sickening medicine is you know one group is taking care of right. what's going on in your head right. the other one's taking care of what's going on in your body and they don't realize they're connected to each other right 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 yeah, yeah. when i asked medical students the first time I did it, it blew me away. I had a full class of medical students at one of the schools. And I said, everybody, draw a picture of yourself working as a doctor. Then they sent all the pictures up front. <clears throat> Some of the pictures had medical instruments and computers and no people at all in them. Interesting, very interesting. Then 98% had, I'm sitting behind a desk with my diploma on the wall behind me, no patient. And then there was one picture, it's like 1% again, where he was standing in front of a wheelchair handing the lady a tissue. And to me, that's the only doctor in the whole class. Interesting, yeah. very interesting. And I, I think, Medical schools don't do it, but his if heart I was medical involved. School, I his say when involved. you send your application in, right. send a drawing of yourself working as a doctor with it. Oh, I love that. Then you'd know who you ought to accept and who's going to care for people. And who's who you're going to go to because handing the tissue, you know, he had compassion for his patient. Yeah. Others were more very cerebral. Yeah, he's touching her. Right. So he right. had his arm, one arm on her shoulder, and the other one was handing her a tissue. That's he's sitting in a wheelchair. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. That's a beautiful story. That's part of why the doctors then suffer and their suicide rate goes up because right. they don't know what to do with all their pain and all the problems people have. And, you know, it's why I ended up painting my cover up. But I learned to stop covering up because when a patient said, I need to know how to live between office visits. And that wasn't in the office. That was when we were both at a meeting by another doctor to help cancer patients. Right. And I said to her, why are you here? And this was her quote. You're a nice guy. I feel better when I'm in the office with you, but I can't take you home with me. So I need to know how to live between office visits. Oh. That changed my whole life, that woman. And when I came back to the office on Monday after this weekend workshop, one of my partners, who's a very intuitive, caring guy too, said, Bernie, I said, what? You're gone. I said, what the hell are you talking about? 
He said, you're going to leave surgery. You're not the same person you were on Friday. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. And he was so right because I started helping people to live. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's a beautiful philosophy, Bernie, because that's one. I'm sure Hippocrates would agree with it, with that, you know. Yeah, and when you help people live, they don't die when they're supposed to. Exactly, that's really the role of them, and not so much. I mean, some of the statistic three months left, but to teach them how to live. Some of the funniest stories I have are about people where I called up to ask, "Why didn't you invite me to the funeral?" Right, and the person I thought was dead answered the phone. Right. And I love the, right. Yeah, the one who moved out to Colorado to die in the mountains. Uh, he, he said it was so beautiful here. I forgot to die. Right. Boy, we both busted out laughing. But th- those are the lessons I learned. You know, when you change your life, you changed a lot of things. Beautiful. And I think that's the, one of the, uh, the morals of this uh, interview with you is that we all need to learn how to live. Yeah, uh, right, Bernie. In yeah. whatever way, whatever passion you have in your journey, in your life, right? Because uh, when you learn how to live, your body tries to help you keep living. Yeah, that's now, Monday morning. We have more heart attack, strokes, suicides, right. and illnesses. So when you eliminate the Mondays, right, you survive. Right. right. Wow. Thank you, Bert. This is great. This is really great. Thank you so much. You're welcome, dear. Thank you. And you've been listening to Dr. Bernie Siegel, Bernie, and the show is The Matter of the Heart. Thank you always. Thanks, Bernie.